This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. Listeners, please join me in welcoming Short Coats to the mic, all here to prance into your ear holes like trained monkeys for your entertainment and edification. First up, joining us from the internet, Aline Sanduk. Hi. Gabe Conley is also joining us from the internet. He's surfaced. Hello, Dave. Yeah, you might remember him from years ago. I'm back. Yeah. Uh, we have Maddie Walline in the studio. Hello. I did it. You did. And uh, Brandon Bacalzo has joined us once again. Hi, Dave. Uh, Maddie, why is your name pronounced Walline? It's not spelled that way. It's not spelled that way. I wish I had the right answers for you, but uh, if I could just like slip another E in there, I would. Do yeah. it. But what's stopping you? I, I, does it cost money to change? I'm sure it costs a lot of money to change your name. It's a. It's definitely inconvenient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You gotta wait till you're. You gotta wait till you're uh, getting married or something like that to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. Are you married? You're not married. I'm not married now. Yeah. No, I don't know. Take advantage. Yes, you may want to wait until the federal government is not just in total shambles. Mm, right. <laughs> right. Yes. That's a, a friend that's... of mine applied for a passport, and it's been in processing for like nine weeks. Oh, same. Jeez. Like my birth certificate is in limbo because I had to provide it to the federal government to get a passport. Uh, well, thankfully, in... most most countries aren't allowing Americans into their ports. Right yeah. Now, what do you so need to? No that's true. I mean, like that's I, true. you know, I wanted to have it readily accessible if I wanted to travel anywhere, and I figured, you know, maybe during a pandemic that there would be not as many people wanting passports. Um, but I didn't take into account this idea that people wouldn't be working. Yeah. Mm. I want a passport in case I have to flee. Well, you, mm-hmm. good news is you may not need one if you're trying to emigrate as a refugee, mm-hmm. which we may need to mm-hmm. Wow. I'll keep that in my back That's pocket. The good news. I'll consider it. We're, uh, we're getting right. real bleak to start off right in the beginning. Canada uh, adheres to the Geneva Convention rules. Oh, good. Oh, good. good. Let, me, let me make a note of that. Good. Can I apply to Canadian residency? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think, I think there's an agreement. Your, leave your Iowan guns at the door. Yeah, uh, it's the only well, requirement. Um, yeah, so uh, I am excited to see you guys. I wanted to, you know, I I, I will full disclose to the audience. I uh, pretty much uh, shit the bed in writing today's show. I just couldn't figure out what I wanted to talk about. I came up with a few ideas. We're we're, we're going to do all right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just want to, I put this out there. Here's why I put this out there. Because mm-hmm. I want everybody to know that sometimes, in some situations, it's okay to fail. Mm. Yes, sir. That's what yes, I'm telling sir. myself. Oh, no, 100%. <laughs> it's okay. It's a teachable moment. Yeah. Yes. Well, I don't know what I've learned other than the <laughs> fact that sometimes it just doesn't come together. <laughs> right. But fortunately, I it's have also, you. It's also okay to just wing it. Sometimes yeah, yeah. some of my best work has been the product of winging it. I was going to so. say, I've been Absolutely. doing it for 23 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hasn't, hasn't failed you yet. Not yet. <laughs> I've been failing in the forward direction. <laughs> <laughs> failing up. Yep. Uh, 
Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to have some good conversationalists with me today, Gabe. It's your M4 year, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. What are you doing? You're you're you were not able to join us in the studio today because. So. I had longstanding interest in the MD MBA combined degree program. I was an economics major when I was in college, and I always kind of knew that my specific interests in medicine kind of aligned themselves somewhat with uh, leading an organization or uh, having a role in building policy that facilities use or perhaps governments. I don't know. Um, so I've just always had kind of interest in leading an organization through its strategic sort of goals. And I and I always knew that kind of an MBA is the gold standard training program for doing that. And, you know, as an, as a rising M4, the, 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 the M4s in my class right now are really focused on residency interviews. But with COVID, things are really messed up. So I, I, I always had interest in the MD, MBA degree, but I never knew. I was never sure until a few months ago, you know, do I want to do this now or do I want to wait to get an MBA? And what happens for med students out there, if you're interested in the MBA, if you talk to people who got their MBA as physicians, if you talk to them when they got their MBAs, 20 years after they became physicians, usually what they say is you should wait, right? You should get some professional experience, learn the ropes of being a doc, and then go get your MBA. Mm-hmm. But then if you talk if you talk to uh, physicians with MBAs who receive their MBAs closer to training, like in residency or in school, you kind of hear the opposite. They say it's better to get that foundational training as soon as possible, then you can use those teachings for the rest of your career. Um, so, I, so really before COVID, I never knew, I was never sure what do I want to do? And I was probably, honestly, just going to head towards applying to residency in internal medicine, um, partly because I'm an indecisive person in general, and I was probably going to just wait too long to go. Yeah. And before I before I knew it, I'd have to be applying to yeah, internal med residencies. <laughs> right. So then COVID happened, and I was at home in my rural Northwest Iowa, you know, my, where my parents live. And I went back and forth and I thought, you know what, you know, this was when we were on, we were in complete lockdown. The national response was, uh, let's just say uncoordinated at best. Let's just, let's just say the national response wasn't very coordinated. How dare you? And, wow. Yeah. That flies in the face of everything that I believe. That's hot unpatriotic. Take. A hot take. <laughs> Competence so, is offensive to me. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Well, yeah. Everyone gets offended now. Um, not everyone, but the, everything can become political now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's probably going to, that'll be the case until November. Yeah. At minimum, probably after that, but you run the risk of getting political with just run of the mill conversations nowadays. Um, yeah, you know, so we were shut down, and I thought, you know what? Now's the time to do it. Um, so here I am, MBA school. It's good. I'm reading a lot. MBA school is completely virtual right now, so really it's just online classes, and I'm trying to use some. Find, I'm trying to find some real world MBA projects. There's a guy who's trying to start an urgent care here in Des Moines, Iowa. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help him out with this marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just trying to kind of learn the ropes of what what it means to be a business leader. Right. Right. That's a very interesting pathway. I mean, I know here at Iowa, I'm involved in the, oh man, it's a jumble of words. There's a distinction track that's very similar. It's healthcare like management, light. healthcare management policy, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. healthcare delivery, science management, and policy mm-hmm. track. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Pick five words out of the dictionary. Odds are they're part of that distinction. Yeah. <laughs> just, just start with one word and thesaurus it until you've got a full <laughs> sentence. Um, but I, I'm involved with that. I was, and, and still am kind 
kind of considering, you know, being a business leader, maybe opening my own private practice, exploring what it would be like to be an entrepreneur type and a medical type. So it's interesting that you tell your story about going to an MBA. I'm aware that there's a third option as like a combined degree program, but isn't there something analogous to an MBA that's more geared toward like medical administration? So there's a degree called the Masters in Healthcare Administration, mm-hmm. um, and it's shorter. It's just more. It's kind of an MBA specifically for healthcare, and yeah, that's an option too. I, I do think that type of degree is a little bit more geared towards working in the hospital. Sure. In in general, um, it's kind of like hospital. Like if you are, become a physician and you want to, and the place you work for wants you to become a executive. Sure. A lot of times they'll fast track you into the MHA program because oh. it's kind of MBA, but distill down to specifically what you need to know to run a hospital. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's an option. So, I, I think the MBA is just, I mean, you learn. So healthcare is not a very efficient industry, no. as a lot of us know. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot to learn from other industries about how we can improve our processes. And I think an MBA just gives you a more round, rounded uh, education on what it means to be successful in all kinds of business, because healthcare is a business and it's a way of life too. We're docs for life, baby. Yeah. So how does this, okay, so one of the things that we've talked about on the show, and I think maybe um, if I could speak for you, Aline, I think you might agree, which is that when medicine is treated as a business, there are difficulties, there are problems, because um, profit, say, and healthcare delivery aren't always, don't always seem compatible. Is that something you're interested in exploring at all? Or do you agree, do you disagree? Hmm. Yeah, I do feel like we've talked about that a few times. Um and, you know, the reason that I've said that is because, you know, business uh, business principles can be exploited really effectively to, you know, develop products that directly improve people's lives, materially improve people's lives, which then, you know, has the, um, you know, the reciprocal action of, you know, enriching a person for doing a good job at developing a product. I think the problem with mixing business and healthcare is that, it violates kind of the fundamental principle of business that the you know the the patient slash consumer doesn't have the leverage in in healthcare to walk away. Hmm. You know, when you walk to a hospital, you don't have you, your life doesn't depend on owning a forty inch TV. And if you decide you want a TV and it's not on sale and it's not a price you want to pay, you can walk out of that store and go on living just fine. But in healthcare, it's not it's not a fair relationship. It's not an equal relationship in the sense that the, the patient really is at your mercy and they have to pay whatever you charge them. And I think that's a little bit of why we're seeing you know, the cost just spiraling out of control of everything because they have no power to negotiate. And that's kind of the idea behind the single payer system is that a government represented by millions of people has the power to negotiate as opposed to each individual citizen um, or like 200 insurance companies. Um, so that's why I've said that. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, you guys chime in feel free. I think those are all really good points. Um, my, my sort of mission or sort of what motivates me is the idea that if more physicians have business expertise, then more middlemen in this healthcare industry can be eliminated mm-hmm. because physicians are experts at taking care of people. But when there's all sorts of profiteering 
you know, ways to get profits out of the system we have, right? You've got pharmacy benefit managers, you've got health, all these private insurance companies that end up paying physicians better than Medicare and Medicaid do. So in some ways, physicians love these private insurance companies because they pay better. Um, but they're also very profitable. If you look at a United Health Group, which is the biggest insurance group in the country, they had massive profits in the, the second quarter because hospitals are laying off patients. There's no, there weren't any elective surgeries. Um, so you got this United Health Group, and every insurance company profited this quarter more than expected because hospitals were furloughing employees and patients weren't getting elective procedures. So there is profiteering going on that doesn't benefit patients and doesn't benefit caregivers. Um, and I think the more physicians that have training and okay what what does it mean to run a business be profitable right you got to be profitable otherwise you're you're not solvent so mm-hmm. it doesn't work how how do you run a, how do you deliver healthcare in a way that ends up not losing you money or the system the payer money and ends up being better for people that that's a question that motivates me and i think the answer lies in more physicians developing business expertise not not saying that you have to get an mba for that but um you know the hds and p track which i'm a leader of um that's one way you don't you know it's sort of a way to get out of med school with a little bit of extra thinking behind okay what is the healthcare system in america how does it work who profits how you know where are the inefficiencies can we improve those inefficiencies um what what metrics are we using to de- to determine what therapies, surgeries, processes are going on in hospitals and within Medicare? So Medicare is the biggest payer, so they do have a, a big say in terms of what gets paid, what uh, the sort of standard algorithm for treating people is. So it's very complicated. I do think you're totally right, though. The, the healthcare industry is very different than someone going to Walmart and buying a TV for exactly why you for exactly the reasons you mentioned. Um, so it's it's not fair to really compare healthcare to other industries like that, just because of like you said, if patients go without that stent in their heart, then they're they're going to be probably worse off, really worse off in the next year or so. It's not really something they can walk away from. Yeah, I feel like what I'm hearing you say is, how do we find the intersection between the desire to make money but also improve people's lives? Yeah. Based on what you said about health insurance companies, which is the, a really disturbing trend, is that they're oh, making money yeah. by. <laughs> bless you. Jesus. <laughs> You're blessed. You know what's great? Sneezing into um, a shield. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, how do we how do we make it profitable to extend people's lives as opposed to withholding care, which is what's enriching insurance companies? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's too many middlemen. You know, I'm inclined to agree with you, actually. I think a big difference between our healthcare system and a lot of other countries is that there's, you know, providers and there's payers, but then there's like huge armies of employees in between. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, a lot of people are not wrong. If we make our healthcare system more efficient, we will kill a lot of jobs. Oh, totally. We will put a lot of people out of work. But that's also why it's so expensive because you have, you know, insurance companies employ these armies of claims adjusters that are trying to keep every penny and um, or trying to keep everybody. And then hospitals have, you know, um, billing specialists who are trying to, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, and all these people are acting in direct opposition of each other. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, listeners out there who are interested, there's a graph, there's a great graph that I love to point, sort of point to. It shows the growth of hospital administrators over time and physicians over time, just the growth in 
pure numbers of these two workforces. And as you might imagine, since like the 90s, the administrator curve has gone basically vertical and the mm-hmm. physician curve has remained at a very steady and slow incline. And, you know, that's not good for patients because at the end of the day, these administrators are not, they're just, you know, they are self-interested people or working for self-interested corporations. How do we, you know, maximize our net income? Where do we, where do we cut costs? And they're, they're usually not thinking about how that hurts patients. So that's kind of gets back to my whole point that more physicians need business expertise, especially in America where the healthcare industry is apart from the national government for the most part. One of the, so, Brandon, I hope you stay in the HDSMP program and oh, do great things, right? 100%. One of the things that um, occurs to me about the about the army of, of middlemen is, is that maybe some of that came from a profit motive, but there might also that might also have come out of um, the difficulties that insurance companies and Medicare and all this kind of stuff throw up uh, in front of the reimbursement process. Mm. Um, mm. So, you know, if, if something is difficult to do, you hire a specialist right. in order to, to help do that. Mm-hmm. And then that might lead to somebody on the other side saying, okay, well, we've got to make this more difficult. Sure. And then, yeah. you know, the cycle continues. Right. I mean, there were... Looking back at at the history of how we got here, it seems apparent to me that um, there's been a shift in healthcare delivery um, where physicians are getting increasingly um, shuffled into the corner of just straight up healthcare provider, for better or for worse. And the physician, you know, 30, 40 years ago probably had a hand in being complicit in this for the reasons that you say. I don't think most physicians want to have to deal with compensation for their services, so they might hire someone sure. to manage that and to manage payment. Sure, that's that's a complex problem mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then over yeah. <clears throat> a, a, you know many decades, we eventually get to this point where um, the bean counters, per se, are sort of lording over the entire process and then eventually physicians become the uh you know the 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 uh, generators of profit and they don't really mm-hmm. steer the ship per se yeah mm-hmm. and there have been very various... especially nationally yeah especially nationally that's completely true mm-hmm. go ahead sorry I, and i know that there have been various um legislative policies put in place i think in the 80s and then later reinforced with the Affordable Care Act that limits the ability of physicians to run hospitals. I, I don't want I, I'm not knowledgeable enough to get into the specifics, so take this with a grain of salt. But it seems like there are various forces that that sort of disincentivize, both internally and externally, disincentivizing the physician to get involved with um, managing their own compensation. Yeah, and it's something that they already don't really want to do. Right. Right. It's so it's easy to go. It's easy to be like, oh, I'm just going to ignore that this is happening. Mm-hmm. Or there's mm-hmm. there's an incentive to ignore that it's happening right. because you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Money is icky. A lot of people have this uh, this idea, you know, for better or for worse, that like talking about money is tacky, mm-hmm. and it can also. I mean, it's a cultural thing, but it also hurts your ability to negotiate for yourself and advocate for yourself mm-hmm. in a professional sense. And then 
unfortunately, some people will come along and exploit that. I mean, any anyone with expertise that you don't have is automatically in a position to exploit you. Mm-hmm. And I think what Brandon is talking about and kind of what Gabe touched on, too, is that doctors fall prey to that. You know, they're not dumb people. We're not stupid people, but we're just not trained to run businesses. No. So, but, you know, how much more education can you tack on to, you know, four years of college, four years of med school, and then at least three years of postgraduate training. It's a lot. It's, it's Mm kind of not fair. It is. (laughs) It is a lot. It is a lot. And and that's, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I certainly don't think that every physician needs to get, uh, develop business expertise, but certainly a, a, a nice proportion of them do. And I, I am aware of, I, I, you, you mentioned some legislation about limiting physicians from leadership roles in hospitals. I don't know what you're talking about. Not that you're wrong. I just don't know what you're talking about, but I will say there's some data that shows that major academic centers and major hospitals that have physician executives tend to do better with various performance metrics for patients than, than those without. But yeah. there is data that shows that more physicians in those, in those roles is probably better for patients than not having physicians in those roles. And that makes intuitive sense, I think, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You have physicians calling the shots with, with what algorithms we're going to use for therapies that patients ultimately, ultimately receive. Where Okay, we need to cost cut, sure. Where do we do that in a way that doesn't harm patients? Physicians should be part of that conversation because ultimately, we're the experts in taking care of people. And we're, this is a hospital we're talking about. So we, physicians we know should what's be a part essential, of that. essential, what's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I'd, I'm interested to sort of keep tabs on, I mean, I'm heavily interested in the field of psychiatry and I feel like the psychiatric practice in and of itself poses some interesting alternative business models. I think if you look at that field, you're seeing an increase in cash only practice to curb the the same things that we're talking about. It's a quick, efficient um, payer system. It's got its downsides, of course, but I'm I'm very much interested to see how uh, private practice works its way around the traditional um, insurance mode of paying for things, be it a subscription service to retain a physician, something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just starting to dig my my teeth into that, but it's some very interesting stuff. So, is anyone familiar with direct primary care at all? I can't. You're, you just you just described direct primary care, which is essentially it markets itself as concierge medicine at an affordable price. Mm-hmm. So there will be a usually a prime it's direct primary care, but I don't see why you couldn't do this for psychiatry. I think increasingly this, this will become a thing because direct primary care is actually growing in popularity. Um, it's there's now like 1500 uh, direct primary care providers in the U S when it used to be like less than a hundred, 10 years ago. So it's really growing, but essentially it's what you just said. So it's patients pay 80 bucks, depending on their age and some comorbidities that they have, like how complex of a patient they are. Mm -hmm. They'll pay some set amount per month to retain a physician, have their phone number, be able to be, be able to talk to that physician essentially 24 seven, you know, with a few, whatever the physician, whatever the physician's comfortable with, they, they're the owner of the practice. So they've set the rules in this, this uh, doesn't go through insurance whatsoever. It's just uh, 80 bucks a month. And then physicians have the, the direct primary care physicians have some relationships with wholesale radiology departments. So mm-hmm. they get imaging at sort of wholesale Costco type prices, like whatever the actual service costs, that's what the physician pays. And, and same, same goes for some medications as well. Um, and so that's why I thought of when you brought that up, I think psychiatry is really lends itself very well to that model. Oh, absolutely. And, I think it's a very, um, when I was in undergraduate, I, I took a, a course in clinical psych and we spent, uh, um, 
a decent portion talking about how money plays into the therapist uh, client in that in that specific regard but you know their psychiatrist patient uh dynamic and i think there's some real potential for um compensation discussions and compensation um transparency to be a healthy part of that relationship and really mutually respectful and enforcing um part of that relationship because you know the patient knows who they're paying it's very you know it's a very it's not taboo to talk about it if you're employing those types of compensation um, models right and it's much easier to be transparent about cost too if it's Mm -hmm. if it's you who are the one who sets those prices right there's also more accountability that way too yeah yeah i've heard some uh pretty good stuff about the lifestyle of a concierge physician as well Mm. um and the sort of satisfaction job satisfaction sure that yes uh, people who do this have um and you know that probably just comes down to probably in in many ways that probably just comes down to you know being the master of one's own destiny Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it shifts away from this um productivity mindset that if you you know yes you see x patients you're you're compensated based on how many patients you see how many procedures you do yeah because that's one of the big failings of medicine as this Mm -hmm. practice now is the the inability to set your own pace the inability Mm -hmm. to set a pace that is commensurate with the needs of the patient mm-hmm. and the right. needs of the physician. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I love this, but I also think just to add to that. So physicians in general have maintained their salaries actually increased over time, but to get those results, they've had to see more and more patients and spend more and more time sort of doing some chart work and paperwork. So burnout rates are going crazy. Physicians are still earning more over time, but but the reason why I think is largely because their employers, oftentimes hospitals, are basically just requiring that they see more and more people. Mm-hmm. It's just a fee for service, volume based instead of quality based. Right. Um, and as long as that's like, and then so, as, at some point, the healthcare system in America will be remodeled and changed, and hopefully, physicians will be a part of that. And if not, we're going to just see that we're always going to be cogs in the system. But hopefully, and this is kind of happening. Medicare is already kind of slowly turning into a quality-based payer. Um, but it's really all about what you incentivize. If you if you incentivize patients, you know, more patients being seen instead of any kind of quality, then that's exactly where you're gonna you're gonna get that. Um, so it's really about how you incentivize medical providers. Well, My hope is that physicians will ultimately determine this might be something that won't happen, right? Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, but my hope is that physicians will be d- deterministic in how this system works, but, but likely not, right? Because there are all kinds of powerful entities involved. It's tough. So. It's mm-hmm. tough. You're fighting, you're fighting against a pretty powerful um, set of interests. I that was beautiful, though. Like direct primary care, part of what makes that so nice for physicians is it's, they're kind of practicing medicine the way they always wanted to. There's no dealing with insurance. They do minimal sort of uh, EMR chart work or mm-hmm. negotiating with payers. It's just a, hey, hey, Brian, like you have my number. Sorry, you're not doing well. Come in, you know, come see me. Let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. Well, what's Brian's funny paid. about it is, you know, we have this name for it now, uh, you know. Uh, concierge medicine, yeah. or yeah. But that's what oh, people yeah. used to do. Yeah. They do yeah. make it sound bougier than it actually just is. Medicine, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so true. Personalized medicine is an amazing term to me too, because yeah. like it, the like actually all medicine is personalized. If it wasn't personalized, you come in, you know, with chest pains, and I'd give you a lollipop. So yeah, <laughs> it's, all, it's all technically personalized. Uh-huh. Maddie, well, uh, thoughts on all this? Say again. I just want to give Maddie a chance to chime in. 
Oh, yeah. no, cool. I'm soaking it all in. I'm one of those people that lacks <laughs> the expertise that we're talking about. So this is this mm-hmm. is a great conversation for me to sit in on. Well, I think the healthcare industry is just so like there are a bunch of uh, books that I'm I'd like to read just because there's a long history here with you know how how we got to the system that we have and um, why we do the things we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not prepared to speak as any kind of expert on it, but there's just a lot of you you can't learn about this in a few hours. It's if you want to if you want to get the expertise, you have to read. Mm-hmm. You have to go purposely look for it because yeah. it's it's a complicated thing for sure. One of the initiatives I'm taking over this COVID summer is um sort of starting that conversation about finances. Um, I kind of probed our, cl- our M2 class here, seeing if anyone was interested in, in my writing a handout of personal finance, kind of um, med school to residency to being an attending to retirement, talking about various things. And that's been one of my, um, one of my kind of projects for this summer. Uh, if there are any listeners out there that would be interested in this as well, write the show, let me know that yeah. you'd be interested. Send an so, email to the shortcuts at gmail.com. We'll hook you up. Yeah. So I can, uh, so very, I know how wide I can distribute this, but um, I think, you know, not a lot of people want to talk about money. The law of big numbers keeps us medical students terrified of our increasing loan amounts. And so yes. um, it's I easy think to be avoidant, <laughs> I think a, a big first step into becoming conscious about finances, becoming conscious of your own finances. And that's what I've been working towards this summer. That sounds oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Send us an email at the shortcuts at gmail.com. We'll uh, we'll hook you up with uh, with Brandon's resource. Yeah. It's Resources. a work in progress. It's not done yet. Well, and I got to I mean, run it by uh, the financial aid office for to make sure. Oh, we're all, I think that's we're all spot on. That's but, a good idea. Um coming soon to an email near you. All right. Hey, don't forget, listeners, we're having our annual summer listener drive. Uh, it's important that you are here with us every week and that you listen. Um, but we can always use more um, listeners. So, you know, if if I uh, if I need to justify myself and my actions uh, in this podcast, at least I can say, look, I know I said something stupid during that last show. Two shows ago. (laughs) That I shouldn't have said. Two shows ago. And that you're angry with me, boss. But all our listeners didn't write in, Mm -hmm. and there are many of them, didn't write in to say how terrible it was. Just one person did. Mm -hmm. So, with an army of listeners, with an army of listeners, we can build our, we can justify our existence. Mm. Without that army of listeners, we are shit. Ooh. Yes, sir. Preach. That is aggressive. That's, That's aggressive, right. but I think I'm here for it, Dave. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, listeners, share our show on the internet. Please. Wherever potential listeners hang out. Uh, share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Mm-hmm. Share it with strangers. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, share an episode and take a screenshot. Yeah. Instead of complaining to the grocery store clerk that you have to wear a mask, maybe mention the short code podcast instead. Yes. Send that. Sc- <laughs> send that screenshot. We'll take it. <laughs> I don't think any, those people. Are, I don't think the people who yeah. complain about masks. I don't think they're listening. Or if you're a grocery store clerk, recommend the short code podcast to any uh, any miffed. Uh, customers. It's good that you're. It's good that you're covering the uh, grocery store clerk demographic <laughs> and the people who don't want to wear masks demographic. Because yeah. I think those we often forget those that vast body of I our listeners. I think we have we have a, a pretty robust base of the, that demographic. Yeah. Send that screenshot. I, I'll let you finish, Dave. I'll tell this dumb story. Send that screenshot to the shortcodes at gmail.com and I will send you a free pin that I made myself. It's our logo, 3D printed. Uh, Coated with uh, with love, uh, 
it's really a hard dome of clear resin and uh, not, not love, but it is love. Crafted with love. Crafted with love. And uh, it's just my way of saying thanks for telling the world about us. Yeah, and it pins to the lapel of a uh, white coat very well. Yes, it looks great, I think. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. It's a, it's a short white coat that you can pin on your short white coat That's or right. your long white coat. It's very, uh, it's very meta. Mm-hmm. That bling, baby. Any, it's any bling. Coat right. Any coat you want. Any coat you want. We'll take yeah. any coat. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to talk about uh, the just piles and piles of videos that are emerging online of, of people oh. getting a, a real upset about being asked to wear masks and being refused service. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't yes. know what to do after oh. I'm done laughing and realize this is not a TV show I'm watching. I know. This is not mm-hmm. a joke. This is real life. Uh, grown grown adults just walking to a grocery store and getting so mad that they just start throwing stuff on the ground as they're leaving the store because they're so upset about being asked to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't know what to make of it. I don't understand it either. I heard that our beloved uh, Justin Sipla Professor Sipla has some ideas about that. Do you do you remember what he said? He does. I can't recreate his ideas particularly with the same conciseness and intrigue that that Dr. Sipla <laughs> normally presents his ideas with. No, among his many strengths are his ability to take what you would think is a very, you know, like scientific mm-hmm. um topic mm-hmm. and turn it into a an existential yes. Um, yes. Very philosophical, philosophical yes. thing. Something of like, great import. That you're like, <laughs> what? Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. But he he was citing some studies that I have no clue. I, I can talk to him later. But um, he says... He claims that essentially in at least Western cultures, we place a lot of value on having our face seen. Um, I think that's reinforced in multiple different um, multiple different areas. I know that a lot of doctors are saying that they prefer their face be seen to the patient because of these nonverbal cues that you see in the face, the smile, the frown, the, the, you know, the attentive, I'm concentrating face. There's a lot of different ways that you can express yourself nonverbally that a mask kind of occludes. And I think a lot of people also place some sort of, um, I don't know. They they place some sort of part of their self esteem on having their face shown. I I put a lot of self esteem in not having my face. Mm, yeah, <laughs> on this audio only podcast. Yes, but uh, that's that's so interesting because uh, I never even once considered that idea. I mean, I knew of course mm. that you know my interactions with people who are wearing face masks are missing something. Like for God's sake, I can't even recognize people anymore. Mm-hmm. But it never even occurred to me that the people who are frustrated, who are angry about wearing masks, may actually be experiencing some sort of um, biological or, or biological reaction to mm-hmm. not being able to express themselves or see the expressions or be seen of other people. Be mm-hmm. seen. That's what I was yeah. going to say. They're having an existential crisis about being hidden Man, when they're are. used to being maybe. Yeah, visible. I agree. I mean, that changes a lot for me. Yeah, that's some psychotherapy stuff, right? Son of the bitch, yeah. you've opened. He's opened my world. <laughs> I mean, typical Doctor Sipla, right? Yes. He, it is. He would stop doing this so I could continue being angry at yeah. people. But yeah, it's like Plato's cave. He's showing you the outside world, Dave. 
what's you Plato's know, cave? Yeah, that, that's a that's a big philosophical discussion there. Okay. <laughs> Get Wikipedia it. Google right. it. All right. I will. I'm not familiar, but I will say um, I made the comment that these uh, they're called Karen videos, which will mm-hmm. describe. I don't know why they're called that. That's just what they're kind of called. OK. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, these these Karen Karens. videos. Yes. Yeah. Karens Karens. Really le- white women have really contributed to letting white men off the hook as like the most hated demographic mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Earth currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting conversation. It's nice to have a break once in a while. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's really hard work. Being a white male ass, yeah, yeah. <laughs> being at the top of the food chain and having all the yeah, all the I'm just gonna kick my feet up and displaced you. You know, kick my feet up and and let the Karens take over. Yeah. Anyways, I think these Karen videos should end up in the Library of Congress. Yeah. Because if you if you look at the Library of Congress's purpose, it's like to document American <laughs> culture, American history, mm-hmm. tumultuous events in American culture. I think these videos will be valuable to look back on. Yeah. Years from now, because Can you imagine like the aliens landing. They, 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 you know, like the, uh-huh. the the humanity. It's it's a million years from now, or maybe ten years from now. Humanity's disappeared, mm-hmm. um, and so they land at the Library of Congress, the shambles of the the ruins of the Library of Congress, and they find these Karen videos, mm-hmm. and they were like, hmm. humans apparently had an asymmetrical bob, <laughs> and they were very angry about. Wearing yes. face covers. Yes. There was a career called you know, manager by which disgruntled, <laughs> disgruntled individuals uh, trading their labor units. <laughs> it's going to be a gallery of like suffragettes, civil rights protesters, and you know, Karen. the, oh the anti-war God. movement, and then women being worried you used uh, full fat milk instead of non-fat milk mm-hmm. in their coffee. Or what Those do you mean my same. coupon is expired? <laughs> Is the Karen is the idea of the Karen video a little misogynistic? Because I've seen videos of men freaking out too, but we call them Karen videos. How about that? I mean, huh? I've heard Karen and Keith. Keith is the Keith? male. Oh, Karen. Keith. Oh, I don't know. I've heard, not, I've heard, heard Matthew, but I don't know. I'm if if we want to analyze this a little bit too much, I think that we traditional gender roles place the the, the woman or the female, you know, the the housemaker to do most of the. Shopping. How, most of the shopping. And I think mm-hmm. that that's maybe why you see uh, disgruntled shoppers being I th- classified on mass. 100% as- mm-hmm. agree with you. Mm-hmm. And here's yeah. why. Just drawing from my own relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife is in many ways the captain of the Etler household. Mm-hmm. And I have willingly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've, I've willingly given my role, my possible role as captain of the household over to Christine. Mm -hmm. Not only is she much better at it, Mm -hmm. but she is so much better (laughs) than I am. But also, when I try to make decisions, I screw them up, uh, sometimes real bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas she is willing to pour over uh, the, the... the, the uh, summer camp schedule or the enrollment of, uh, you know, classes mm-hmm. or, um, you know, like I'll cook, I will clean um, and I will. Mm-hmm. But, but she is the person who sets this the tone. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. That's what's playing out here. If, if other men are like, yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to hang out over here. Right. Let you figure it all out. Right. That would enrage every, anyone, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of where it comes from. If I were to if I were to hazard a guess on okay. on why we we've characterized 
the disgruntled um, customer is always right individual. Because you know, because you know, if there's a if if there's a spouse or a boyfriend or something nearby, mm-hmm. they're going, oh my god, yeah. Um, I'll just be over here while you handle yeah. that, honey. I don't know. In my own experience, I've been so I, I'm I'm a very passive, non-confrontational guy. Yeah. Um, and I, and I feel like that plays a little bit into into that too. But I, I don't want to make sweeping what generalizations you, about the sexes. What do the ladies think? What 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 are you? Uh, what what are your? Yeah. What are your inputs? What are your reactions to that idea? You know, I honestly have seen more of these Karen videos than the Keith videos for I think the reasons that you say. It's just the the place and the fact that that's what's on my Facebook feed. So in general, I would, you know, the Karen videos thing is that I have mostly seen Karens in the videos. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is that it's not so much a gender thing. You know, the the attitude we're making fun of in these videos is a human thing. It's just an yeah. entitled person who is freaking out because they feel like something that belongs to them is being taken away. And I'll tell you the origin of the Karen thing. So the Karen thing comes from stand up. And, it you know, stand up comedians have been using the name Karen to make fun of a person, you know, that we all find annoying. Because, what you know, when you say Karen, now we all know who we're talking talking about mm-hmm. they they've been using that name since the 80s actually to mm. make fun of a person and it's because of the hard case sound it's a fundamental principle of comedy that hard case sounds are just funny mm. and like for example it's aggressive you know, a lot of, yeah so a lot of comics will use like if they're making a joke about a car a buick is way funnier than a ford mm. interesting and, and it may not it's maybe not playing out right now because like we're not in a you know a nightclub making jokes but you'll see it's it's something that comes up over and over so that's where the karen came from wow that's cool but yeah that's interesting phonology yeah. of of stand-up comedy is is a field that i never thought i would be intrigued well like i i didn't think that'd even be on the map but now that you bring it up aline that's you know what i'm gonna yeah. stop writing for this show yeah thank you short coats <laughs> i'm gonna stop writing anything down for this show because I have very much enjoyed uh, learning new things today. Oh yes! Instead of what Just I talk about, letting us go, setting us, setting us free on ourselves, seeing where it goes, yeah. chatting this where is, the conversation well, takes us. Well, what's next then, guys? Well, I uh, I have a um, I have an exercise. Okay. That we can do. Um, I have a, I have written down a series of questions on these strips of paper, which you will choose at random. They okay. are conversation starters. Not all of them. I, I, you know, not all of them relate to medicine. Some of them do. Um, and let's just rap. Let's just rap like, Ooh. like, uh, people who rap. I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, so are we actually s- rapping, or are you just using that as an expression? <laughs> Rap like a. Let's have a discussion. Hmm. Mm. I see. It's oh. sort of like what a fifty-year-old white man would say mm. in a situation where he's trying to be cool. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Let's rap. Let's jive. What he thinks hypothetically. The kids are hypothetically. Saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maddie, can I pick on you first? Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, pick one at random. Okay. And and uh, we'll we'll pick one at random for you guys on that mm-hmm. from the internet. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. What do you got there, Maddie? What is something most people do easily, but you find very difficult? Hmm. Ooh. Having any conversation on the phone? No, that's, that's a millennial I think thing. That's, I think that is no. It's or not Gen a millennial Z thing. Or whatever. It is universal. Okay. Okay. Getting a haircut. Do, do you guys love talking on the phone? It's not my favorite thing in the world. I'll be honest. No. 
Okay, I actually do love talking on the phone to like my fa- like my family and my mm-hmm, friends. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, I, I don't like calling up my dentist and no. setting an appointment or you know sure. even you know ordering okay. pizza necessarily. But I'm a phone talker. Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting more comfortable doing it, but uh, there's a. I usually feel a little pang of uncomfortability before I do such a thing. Yeah. I'm usually like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Okay, here I go. Yeah, I have to rehearse the opening line and like the first, you know, few lines of how things go. It's like you know, going to a barber and telling them how you want your hair done. It's like you have to there, you have to come in knowing what you want. You definitely don't want to get that wrong. No. No. And there's no nonverbal cues, too. (laughs) There are, you know, there are maybe three people, four people on Earth that I love talking to on the phone. And it's because, like, the conversations are so free. Like, there's so much comfort. And like, like Maddie said, my mom is my my first best friend. And we'll talk for a long time. And uh, it depends on the person. But like for everyday business stuff, like. Shoot me a text. Mm-hmm. Email me. Oh, yeah. That's a, and Oh, no. Go ahead. This is kind of an offshoot, but what's crazy to me, my little sister is 18, and she will just FaceTime me out of the blue. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you can't just FaceTime me whenever you want. Like, mm-hmm. I need to prep for that. Like, I, I need <laughs> some time to <laughs> get myself ready for a FaceTime. Yeah. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Give me a heads up. I agree with that. As soon as someone calls me that I'm not used to call, like, if you're not on, like, my favorites list, I'm like, you better be on fire. Otherwise, I'm going to be pissed. It's like, whoa, right. whoa, 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 whoa. You did not schedule this yeah. beforehand. I'm not ready. But yet, she's just like, we're, we're in the car sometimes driving, you know, the all five of us in the car. And all of a sudden, she's, like, FaceTiming her friend. I'm like, what? Like, you... You guys just FaceTime each other whenever? It, is it that blows that TikTok mentality? Is I don't that, know. Does, I don't know. It's like TikTok. And Snapchat. Maybe. maybe. And Snapchat, mm-hmm. I think. But mm-hmm. it has always like completely blown my mind that she is just willing to FaceTime whenever. Mm. You so, know, I wonder if it has something to do with people who are comfortable with how they look on camera. Because something I will say, which I've learned painfully, is that, you know, in the era, in such a, like, a photo-oriented, I'm not someone who photographs well. No. And it's not my imagination. I have family members Brandon, you don't have to agree with picture. that. <laughs> I, I, I agree with it on a personal level that I am not photogenic. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even tell you. Like, I have relatives who will take a picture of me, and, like, I don't, I, there's, like, a how I met your mother episode with Barney Stinson where like he just always looks good in pictures. And so his friends, the the running joke is they try to catch a picture of him looking idiotic. And then they look at it and he's like, you know, with like whatever. I'm the opposite. People will take a picture of me when I look radiant and I'm smiling and I'm looking my best. And then they pull it up and it just, it's like a gargoyle. It's just so relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the light just doesn't hit my face. I don't know. So I think it has to do with people who are comfortable with how they look on camera and are just comfortable with themselves in general. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say everyone who's not comfortable with that, that's what it is. But I can tell you for me, I'm not comfortable with myself. I do need a little like ramp up time to get ready yeah. to do that. I think it's because you've never actually seen yourself. Ooh, you've never yeah. actually nice seen what nice you really day. are because that's you're true. every time you look at a picture of yourself, you're flipped. Mm-hmm. Okay, be so. honest. When you're on a Zoom call, who are you looking at? Me. Like, who myself, are you looking at? Baby. I'm looking at myself the whole time. Oh, I'm tabbed out <laughs> browsing the internet. It's about 50-50. Tabbed out. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly looking at myself like I would be looking at any other person in the conversation. And then I'm like, oh, that's me. Oops. Mm-hmm. And then it gets me distracted. I have to but, hide yeah. myself of you. Yeah. 
Um, so true. Yeah, it makes I prefer to be on a Zoom call with like 50 people because they don't all fit on one screen. Yeah. So I can go to the next screen where I don't actually have to look at myself. But like if I'm on the screen, that is very distracting to I me. I don't I don't have a working webcam. And I think it's be, for the reasons that you said. It's just like I'm not used to seeing my face. Yeah, I don't have a working it's webcam, different. so I don't, How I don't suffer from this. It's very convenient. <laughs> In our new reality, it's going to be more and more normal for the way that we are doing business now with Zoom and all these other <laughs> things. So I think it's in all of our best interest to go ahead, try to get comfortable. It's, there's a period of uncomfortability there, I know, but if you can just break through that glass, yeah. I think that's the future, right? You're We're probably being on right. camera. I don't know, Gabe, We're I'm never ever going to be comfortable with my sister just FaceTiming me whenever she wants. <laughs> well, you know what's going to happen is if we can, if we can, if we can, you know, there was a, there was a, a period where we're, everything was like, oh, VR, virtual reality, that's mm -hmm. going to be the future. Mm -hmm. If we could just get to that point where it's actually true, mm -hmm. then we can present ourselves in whatever way we want. You know, right. if, if everything was Second mm -hmm. Life and we were all yeah, zooming to, yeah. you know, zooming like uh, it was Second Life, yeah, I'd be like, then who the cares? Fog, you, know? you know, I could be Hi, everybody. I could show up to classes like a, a, a furry with a, <laughs> you know, like and people would be like, oh yeah, that's totally normal. <laughs> uh, please don't, Dave. We don't want to. <laughs> We, I don't want to shame anyone, but I don't want to validate them either. Well, okay. We're close, but we're not that close. Yeah. You can you yeah. keep that to yourself. I think it's a function, too, of like the younger generation not having a, a personal persona and a private persona. Mm. Yeah. Like they're they're the same throughout. So they have no need to kind of filter themselves. Like I'll admit I'm different. Like I'm you know, less filtered privately, but publicly, like I have to be careful when I say because I don't always know what the values are of the person I'm talking to or if we agree on certain things. And that's why I need preparation. I need to know who's calling, what my past experiences have been with that person. Mm -hmm. I need to make sure I don't say the wrong things. The so option to hit that button. It. The option to hit that button. I can't talk right now. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go through the Rolodex of, you know, this person's file I've got in my brain and look at Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, let's try another one. Uh, All right. Let's let's give one of our online friends a chance. Sure. Pick a number between one and six. Sorry, that's not right. One and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You got it, Elaine. Five, please. One, two, three. <laughs> five. All right, Dave. All right, yours is, oh, what's been your worst moment in medical school so far? Oh, mm. man. You know what? If you if, if anybody wants to skip for any reason, mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that option open. Mm. You want just the top ten or the top one hundred <laughs> or just number one, which is there are many contenders. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thirty way tie. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've got Maybe one. one. <laughs> I've got one. And it was like two weeks ago, but I'll give other people the the opportunity to jump in. Okay. Um. So I'm involved in the summer research fellowship, right? Yeah. And we have to do like two one hour lectures a month, attend them on Zoom. And uh, and most recently, I think it was a week ago on Wednesday, we had our last lectures. And there was a lecture. He, he, he was great. I don't remember his name. If he's listening, you, you were amazing. Uh, he was scheduled for one hour of speaking on a topic of mentor, mentorship. And uh, he only had like maybe... 20 minutes prepared, 15 minutes. Mm. Um, and so he finishes up in 15, 20 minutes and he says, you know, I was hoping we'd use the rest of the time for discussion and me knowing the rest of our class, not wanting to engage in discussion and not being <laughs> able to stand of the and class. not being able to stand silence over zoom. I take my headphones off 
because awkward silence just I can't stand it. Okay. Uh, so I was later informed that during this awkward silence, he says, "What do you think, Brandon? I see your face. What thoughts do you have?" <laughs> While my headphones are off. <laughs> that is my worst night. Dude, oh, I cannot no. tell you how many Zoom calls I don't really need to be a part of, but I need to be a part of it. And I will often have one headphone on one ear and I'm paying attention to something else. Mm-hmm. But like, just on the off chance they say something that's important for me. My worst nightmare is one of these days I'm going to walk up to my kitchen to get something and someone at that exact mm-hmm. moment goes, Aline, what do you think about this? Yeah. And I am gone. Yep. I'm a ghost. No, no, th- I can confirm that happened to me. Um, it's both as bad and not as bad as you think. The half-life it's of like the embarrassment with is... your hand in the cookie jar. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the half-life of the embarrassment is pretty short, but it is a very intense <laughs> embarrassment. As, you know, you can't even really fake it in that situation because... No, you, you like visibly took your headphones off. Like, oh, you don't have a camera. I don't have a camera. Oh, you, well, then you could have just been like, oh, sorry, uh, glitch. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I came glitch. back later and you I was... You were garbled there. Wait, if you uh, didn't have a camera, how did he see a look on your face? Uh, no, it was it was my photo. Because he has his photo oh. of me smiling, looking photogenic, not so photogenic. <laughs> Um, Do you have uh, a companion photo for when you get intensely embarrassed? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's so great. So I, I, I private messaged the guy later. And I was like, sorry, I was away. No, no, no questions. That's very honest of you. Yeah. That's very honest of you. You know, like I have made, I used to be a big liar. Mm, I still am, Dave. Well, <laughs> I never lie. I, I used to be lie. a big liar in the sense that, like, if somebody invited me to a party and didn't want to go, I would say, "Oh, great, yeah, I'll, I'll be there." Mm. And oh, you were a flake. Yeah, I was one of those. <laughs> oh, I was one of those. Yeah. Or you know, oh, I just there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know. It's the it, easy it, way out. When did you ever have an out. like any intention, even the smallest intention of going? Maybe. Okay. But maybe not. Okay. I think the problem is, is it, it kind of becomes like once you discover this, once you realize uh, this tactic, mm-hmm. you start relying on it more and more and more. Yeah, if yeah. you're me, mm. you start relying on it more and more and more, and then ultimately you find yourself lying about things that you don't really need to, to lie mm. about. Mm-hmm. You know, do you like my shirt? It's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do I look fat in these? Yeah. No. I yeah. don't want to. I, yeah, I think my mom is calling me. I gotta run. <laughs> From to this other country, yeah, I gotta is. go water my dog. I've I've just tried to I've tried to get more honest mm-hmm. about things, and one of those areas that I have, I, I guess, always felt the need to be honest about, is when I make a mistake. Hmm. Um, because number one, I'm virtually certain that I will be discovered mm-hmm. anyway, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if that happens and I've lied about it, then then I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just I mean, it, it's also just like uh, you know like a I don't know. It just protects me. Mm-hmm. It not only feels less stressful to just not lie. It's also even from a cold and calculating standpoint, it's going to be so much work. Like I didn't used to like have such a strong commitment to never lying, but it's not like I lied constantly. But yeah, when you tell one lie, it's never just one lie. No. It's always like you have to tell more lies to cover up for that. And then it turns into a web of lies. Mm-hmm. Then you have to start implicating other people. Now you have accomplices and it's just it's a lot yeah. to keep track of. I feel like of, there's about to just like 50 sitcom yeah. episodes demonstrating that exact yeah. storyline. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
so true. Art imitating. I want to say Benjamin Franklin said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you tell a lie, then it's like, okay, what did I tell you? Mm-hmm. What yep. did I tell you? Mm-hmm. you know? And that's the other thing that gets back to our first one that we had today, which was what's one thing that you do that... One thing that you wish, what is it? One thing, one thing that, you, that you is really hard for is you. really hard for you. What which is something is, most people do easily, but you find very difficult? Which is remembering anything. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I also know that I am very likely to just trip right over my own, mm. my own mouth in that situation. So, you know, okay. Yeah, what, what was the actual thing? What did your, be? Your worst moment in medical school. Yeah, that was oh, my okay. worst moment so far. Any other worst moments that people want to share? Hmm. Okay. I have a, I guess I have an embarrassing story, kind of. I mean, mm. it's not that embarrassing, and I wouldn't call it my worst moment. Uh, there were no tears involved, but we were in a big lecture. It was a CAPS lecture, so everybody was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a new wireless keyboard um, for my iPad, and I didn't turn it off, but it was in my backpack. Mm. So I'm taking notes on my iPad, and all of a sudden, at full volume... <laughs> <laughs> The Hamilton soundtrack starts playing. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like frantically turn it all the way down. I'm like, wait, how did that even happen? Like my iPod's totally glitching, whatever. So I, I turn my iPad um, like manually on silent. And then five minutes later, it happens again. <laughs> full, full volume wow. Hamilton soundtrack. People are looking at me. I'm like, oh my God. I can guarantee you that I don't remember it just because it happens a lot. I was a back row person, so everybody, mm. everyone in the back row is like, is that had, Hamilton? Like, okay. I have had almost exactly the same thing happens. Here's the here's the difference, though. Um, I don't put music on my phone, generally. If, I've, if I'm listening to music, I'm streaming it. So, mm. I don't have musical files mm. on my phone. Mm-hmm. That's number one that you need to know. Um, number two, I once had a podcast with a friend where we would talk about silly you know, stupid things. It was the worst podcast ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember discussing this this infomercial uh, for a product called the Poop Freeze. Okay. And I had downloaded this clip onto my phone in order to play it during the podcast. Mm-hmm. And as I was walking out of the Medical Arts and Sciences Committee meeting, fortunately the meeting was over, but as I was walking out, all of a sudden my phone started talking about Poop Freeze. <laughs> That's and worse it, than the Hamilton yeah. soundtrack, yeah. But so, anyway, so what happened was the keyboard... Kept hitting. It was connected to my iPad, and so in my backpack, it, it kept hitting play. I figured that out after the forty-five minute long caps lecture. It was a precarious situation. Honestly, if you had to pick anything to just randomly play, I mean, you really you can't just go hit wrong. The jackpot, on yeah. That Russian roulette situation. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. That's well said. So yeah, yeah not Snoop Dogg, not Lil Wayne. Something just obnoxious. But Hamilton, everyone yeah. on board with yeah. Hamilton. Uh, All right. Uh, Let's see. I think it's Brandon's turn. Is it? I see. I see. Let's take one right from the middle here. Nice. Okay. What has been your proudest moment in medical school so far? That's wholesome. That's That's very wholesome. wholesome. That is wholesome. It's almost like I picked it. Mm. (laughs) Proudest moment? Anybody have? Nobody's jumping in with proud moments? I'm trying to dig back here because I feel like having my last summer free i've just like repressed all of my memories of m1 year so far yeah just... a few things stick out for me uh while brandon fishes for there were good things that happened but i know what you're saying right like it's kind of an overwhelming experience and it's you know a lot happened in the last year but what sticks out to me is i was able to go to a dc and meet with iowa's uh u.s representatives and senators for the iowa medical society that was really cool um 
I was able to get published in a urology uh, journal. I'm not going into urology, but it was still a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, um, that's awesome. What else? Mm. I was able, I got a scholarship, and I met the medical director of NASA. That was cool. Oh, that's about it, though. Yeah. Okay. I don't have the same those amount are, of clout. Those are good. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you're flexing Solid, a little bit, but yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a strong flex. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I only asked for one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's fine, I'll, though. I'll, I'll, well, they all happened on the same day, actually. Yeah. So they're oh, yeah. Like, yeah. One nacho chip, three comes with them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like a jalapeno, some sour cream. It was great. Yeah, yeah I, I cracked <laughs> open an egg once and it had two yolks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, my, I think my proudest moment just comes in the little, little victories you gain in honing your interview skills with the standardized patients. Mm. Um, nice, coming nice. in to med school, I and, and to some degree I still feel this way, I, I'm bad at verbal empathy. <laughs> A lot of my empathy is, is physical, like I'll, I'll lean in, I'll look at you directly in the eyes and I'll nod my head and smile if you say something, you know. Um, so I was working on that for a long time. And uh, I remember one SP interview that I had, the, um, the, the, the standardized patient was just so kind and so nice in her words that like, I felt like she wished that I was her friend in real life sort of thing. And that was, that was a proud moment to think that like, wow, you okay. know, I, uh, that's good. I really not not only did you feel compelled to say that I felt heard, which is, you know, pretty standard feedback, but there was a certain to a certain extent I felt that she meant it. Not only not only were you heard, <laughs> but she also wanted you to hear more. Yeah. yeah. That too. Nice. That too. You are never gonna get sued for malpractice ever. Good for you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Well, I mean, if I'm going into psychiatry, we're, 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 you know, the least sued profession. So I've, I've got a double whammy going on. That's good. Hey, I think psychiatry, just while we're on this point, psychiatry is getting more exciting for me because of the role of psilocybin and mm. uh, some other psychedelic compounds oh, in therapy. You are you guys aware? barking right up my alley. I've, I've been right. about this for a long time. Can, can we, yeah. uh... That'll be another podcast. Well, I, I, I feel like we've said that. Now we need to elaborate. Mm, sure. Sure. Um, back before Because otherwise, we don't want the listeners to get the wrong back, impression. Back before Brandon's Timothy. like, you are barking right yeah, up my tree. Uh-huh. I am tripping balls yeah. right now. <laughs> um, back before Timothy Leary and, and the hippie movement, well, I mean, uh, the, the, the historical perception of psychedelic compounds goes way before the 60s. It's been used in various contexts in say the amazon in southwestern united states for thousands of years and it most recently got politicized during the hippie movement being tied to a countercultural thing mm. and research into the compounds were stymied and was placed as a schedule 1 substance meaning that it has no yes. accepted medical use and during the 50s there was a lot of compelling but partially flawed research suggesting that these compounds used in a therapeutic setting can treat a variety of comp uh, a variety of 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 um disorders um alcoholism being one of them and we're yes. starting to pick it back up today that compounds like psilocybin and uh m- what comes to mind is mdma known as yeah, yeah. street name ecstasy is actually mm-hmm. a very um 
powerful compound when used in a very controlled therapeutic space in helping, say, veterans um, experience post-traumatic stress disorder and relive those traumatic memories, but reintegrate it in a way that's not traumatic. Mm. So um, it's still very politicized and it's, there's still very much a taboo over it. Um, and I don't think you'll talk to anyone that thinks that we should be breaking this out immediately um, just because we don't, you know, there's there's still so much we don't know. But I think in the next decade, you're going to see some people in psychiatry push for um, more investigation into these compounds. All right. Well, yeah, I think that's good. Well, good explained. Yeah. Aline, would you like to choose? It's Gabe's turn. Oh, Gabe, would you like to choose a number between uh, one and, as I can count, seven? Seven, baby. Oh, yeah. all right for the seven. Huh? Lucky number seven. Chat. What is the best way to explore human nature? psychology philosophy or biology so my my immediate take is that uh you're wrong if you specifically choose any of those avenues you're wrong it's got to be you got to be a well-rounded person if you want it human nature is complex it's, it's more than how my heart and lungs and brain work physiologically and it's more than plato's cave right it kind of takes in all these things psychology right there's many schools of thought in psychology but you have to i think i think the right answer is uh being willing and being curious to learn about everything Mm -hmm. how about that huh Damn. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a very solid argument. I well, people stop bringing up Plato in his friggin' cage or <laughs> yeah. cave. I'm gonna have to read about that. I don't is know it what a that cave is. or a cage? It's a cave. A cave. But it is also a cage on a philosophical level. Mm. Uh, after the show's done, I'll, I'll... I took a philosophy class in college yeah. and uh, didn't pay attention. Obviously. Uh, well, <laughs> I found it very difficult to uh, pay attention. Mm-hmm. I. I most of the discussions were. First of all, I think that philosophers, all the philosophers, ancient or current, need to take a class in writing clearly. Oh, sure. Um, like with small words that Dave Etler can understand. Yeah, like, damn, say what you mean. Yeah, just put it out there. Yeah. I could say, I could say in a, in a sentence what you said in a page. <laughs> that's, what, that's my feeling about mm-hmm. most philosophy writers. Or actually scientific writers, too. Same problem. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many of you guys go on Reddit. Oh, yeah. But there's there's an there's a lot of great subs uh, subreddits on Reddit. But one of them is explain like I'm five. Yeah. And it's this shame free, no judgment zone for people to go on there and be like, explain blah to me like I'm five years old. That's very productive, actually. Yeah, that's great. Cool. It's good to know. Well, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does anybody want to does anybody want to take the controversial position that one should restrict themselves to one of these areas? (laughs) Um, Psychology, philosophy or biology. If you talk to like B.F. Skinner, who is a big person in psychology, he'll say that all psychology is biology and well, sociology too there and and i feel like there are some scientists that are starting to want to absorb psychology into neurobiology um but that's that's also partially philosophical i think the three are just so fundamentally joined at the hip that it's hard to say that one is more important than the other two i don't think i don't know i guess a, a, a better question could be which if you had to focus on one of those three which one would it be? Mm. That, may, that might be a question that's more intriguing, I guess. Right. I would probably err towards psychology to me is a lot of, honestly, this might come across not, not very well, but Hot I think warning. Hot take psychology, warning. I don't know. I just Trigger think warning. it's a lot of explanations that 
Um, you know, there is a ton of research in psychology, but most of the, most of the research is done in ways that are more subjective, I think, Mm -hmm. than what, than what would be preferable. And so with that kind of data, you know, you scale up and you just have a lot of subjective data, but Hey, I can't tell you a better way to do it. So I just think psychology in general, there's a lot of schools of thought. There's a lot of different sort of, um, potential answers for various questions. Yeah. And it kind of depends who your role model in psychology is, I think. Yeah. Mine is Freud personally. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he's been totally debunked. Yeah. Yeah. Still interesting. It's that beard. It's the beard. Yeah. It is a mean beard. (laughs) Although he said sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for a show that I uh, didn't write, actually, that's that that just sounds reviewing that. What I was going to say in my head just sounds like really like I'm a jerk. Uh, for a show I didn't feel prepared for, this went very well. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate y'all. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. That's you, our show. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, that's our show. Thanks, everybody. Maddie, Aline, Gabe, Brandon, thank you for being my co-host today. Thanks for having us. Yep. I, I love you guys. I love you too. Aww. <laughs> so wholesome. This ended in such a wholesome place. And what kind of garbage person would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week? Subscribe to our show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are available. If I'm not there, let me know. I want to be there. Uh, I remind you that your questions are vital to the show because they mean it can be what you want it to be about. Send questions and comments to the shortcoats at gmail.com or you can leave a message at 347-SHORTCT. We'll talk about it on the show. While your podcast app is open, we hope you'll be the kind of listener we're always grateful for. Give us some stars and a review, an actual written review. So let us know if we're doing this podcast thing right. If you don't like it, though, leave that review for some other podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Give us five stars, but just also give us that feedback. Thank you. Good good idea. Mm -hmm. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox, and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. 